the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for being with us. We are underway at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Wednesday. It's the 21st morning of the sixth month, just nine days remaining in the month of groom. In the year of our Lord, 2023. And we've got a very, very nice program lined up for you today. Coming up in, uh, let's see here, in about uh, half an hour, we're going to get a conversation that you don't normally get at this hour on Wednesdays. Jack Windsor, who's normally my 1110 commentator, to talk about what's going on in Ohio politics and Ohio legislative matters. Jack is going to be with us at 935 because we had to clear some room for the Secretary of State in the state of Ohio, Frank LaRose. He'll be with us at 11.10. And Frank LaRose is going to talk to us more about Issue 1. Obviously, August 8th is the special election, uh, an opportunity for us to protect Ohio's Constitution uh, by raising the uh, threshold for a constitutional amendment to 60%. Frank LaRose supports that. Frank LaRose has also uh, been quoted on the record by a number of individuals as saying that this particular issue, this uh, uh, issue number one in on... Uh, uh, August 8th is all about abortion, 100% about abortion. 
Some are using his statement there to say, see, this is not a serious issue, and it's one that should be defeated because it shouldn't be about just all about abortion. So we're going to give Frank uh, LaRose an opportunity to uh, discuss that and talk a little bit more about that. Obviously, early voting uh, begins very, very soon on July 11th. So uh, we're going to be talking with Frank LaRose at 1110. So that's what I've got. Jack Windsor at 935 and Frank LaRose at 1110. And, oh, by the way, in the middle of that, how about a conversation with former Arizona gubernatorial candidate and, in some people's minds, leading vice presidential contender to join the Donald Trump ticket. I'm talking, of course, about Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake will join us at 1010 this morning, and I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. She's got a book out, and uh, she's going to talk about her book, but she's also going to talk about her plans. We're going to talk about what's going on in this uh, country right now, and it's two-tiered system of justice for all of the... Uh, the stench that comes from this. Uh, Carrie Lake, is she's experienced it. She's experienced, in my view, uh, election fraud and election interference. Uh, her opponent, who is now the governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, did not campaign, did not debate, just stayed in the basement the way Joe Biden did, and somehow managed to outvote or uh, outtotal Carrie Lake. It's uh, it's a joke. So are the entire election systems in the state of Arizona. And Carrie Lake will talk about it. So I got Jack Windsor at 935. I got Carrie Lake at 1010. I got Frank LaRose at 1110. And I've got you whenever you're ready. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to dive right into a couple of stories. No pun intended on the Titanic sub story, but I'll get to that. Uh, so let's do our Pledge of Allegiance first so that I can get into those stories without any interruption. And I know this means so much to you, as it does me. Patriots, go ahead and stand if you can. Uh, if you're driving, that doesn't work so well. But if you can face your flag and put your hand on your, your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in two-tiered systems of justice, in which presidential sons cannot pay their taxes and illegally acquire weapons while being a coke addict who films himself doing coke off of hookers' stomachs, uh, and your name is Hunter Biden, and you should get away with all of that? If you believe that, well, then you really don't believe in this flag. You don't believe in justice. You don't believe in what we're here for. So you are exempt from the request to uh, pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee over there next to that unemployed, self-admitted Marxist quarterback, uh, the unemployed one. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all so um, yeah I mentioned the Titanic sub Um, there's a development in this story two developments in the story one provides at least some small modicum of hope uh, that the people trapped, missing, gone, we don't know. Small modicum of hope is that they did indeed hear noises. As a matter of fact, I believe the uh, phrasing was that about every 30 minutes um, they are hearing uh, banging sounds. Searchers are detecting banging sounds every 30 minutes near the area where that sub vanished, which which could mean that the uh, passengers uh, are alive, 
if you if you don't know the story, you've got you've got to be paying attention a little bit closer. The, the sub submarine. Uh, submersible, as it's called, actually, that was going down to give tours of the Titanic wreckage, which has been going on for uh, a couple of decades now, maybe maybe three, um, went missing three days ago, and they only had 96 hours of oxygen and air, they said, uh, to survive, uh, and it went missing. And uh, now they are finding the first signs that they may still be alive with this banging every 30 minutes. But, number one, they don't know exactly if that's them. Number two, uh, how do you rescue them? Because they have less than 40 hours now, according to the experts, less than 40 hours of oxygen left. How can they go down and get them? That's the question. Um, so so that's the, the part of the story that's just, you know, say a prayer. I do not join the... Uh, People who are on social media, um, and it's not political in this case. It's just people being, in my in my view, just heartless, saying good serves them right. There, this is, this is just straight up uh, classism. They're angry that there are people who are wealthy enough to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to go down there and have this tour, and they say, you know what, these people, this is you know that's what you get. Uh, that kind of thing. I'm seeing a lot of real hateful stuff. I do not join those individuals. First of all, not everybody on that board is a multi-billionaire, the way uh, uh, at least one of them are. Uh, and some on board are crew, at least one crew and maybe more. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that these people are just workers. And this is horrific. And I don't care who you are, and I don't care if you have a million dollars or a billion dollars and you can afford a $250,000 tour of something like this. Uh, these are people, and there are families uh, that are going to they're gonna be devastated if, uh, if these people are not rescued, if they even can still be rescued. But at any rate, um, this is a terrible, terrible, tragic situation, and I think anybody who is decent is saying a prayer for their survival and their recovery. Now, having said that, this is the part of the story that, I, you know, there's got to be a reason I'm leading with this, right, over the Hunter Biden situation? Yeah, there is. The CEO of OceanGate, which is the company that built and, and you know, the, the submersible uh, and, and runs these tours, and there are actually a couple of companies that do this, that send these down there. You have to have permission. You know, there's all kinds of laws, maritime laws and things like that. But for the companies that uh, can give these tours... They have to de- design the crafts, obviously, and they send the people down, and they have to decide who's in charge of these things. Well, the CEO of OceanGate, which is the company that owns and runs these these submersibles and, and runs these tours, apparently was was doing an interview and was and maybe a promotional video of sorts as well when they are talking about or he is talking about the type of people that they hire to run these subs. And as it turns out, like with so many other things in modern American society and business, the CEO of OceanGate valued not experience, not expertise, not qualifications for the people that he hires, but diversity. Hiring people based on diversity, he says, for the purposes of inspiration. Listen. He talks about, the CEO talks about hiring people. 
Uh, yes, I mean, when I started the business, one of the things you'll find, there are other sub-operators out there, but they, they typically um, have uh, gentlemen who are ex-military submariners, and they you'll see a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys. Um, I wanted our team to be younger, to be inspirational, and I'm not going to inspire a 16-year-old to, to go pursue marine technology. But a 25-year-old, uh, you know, who's a sub-pilot or a, a platform operator, one of our techs, can be inspirational. There are other sub-operators out there who hire ex-military submariners or submariners. We don't want them. We don't want the experienced military submariners to run our our subs because they're a bunch of 50-year-old white guys. That's not inspirational. I want younger people. And you might just say, well, he's just talking about age, not necessarily race. Well, then why did he say white guys? He's saying diversity. He's saying... I'm committed to woke diversity rather than safety and security of the passengers who pay $250,000 a head to get in one of my submersibles and go down two and a half miles straight down. And you can't conceive of two and a half miles when you're talking about under the ocean. You think two and a half miles on your road. I drive two and a half miles. Um, A good way to do it for me is to kind of picture the World Trade Centers, which were around 1,200 feet, okay? The submar- the uh, Titanic wreckage is 12,500 feet below the surface. So if you were to stack, say, 10 World Trade Center towers on top of one another, picture the height of the towers. Now put another one on top and another one, two, ten times, that's think about the unimaginable uh, height we're talking about. Now reverse it and put it into the ocean. That's the depth that these people are. We're going to send people paying two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a head to go down that deep to the ocean floor to look at this historic wreck, and I'm not going to have the most highly qualified, experienced, trained submarine pilot or submersible pilot to protect these people as they have this tour, I'm going to hire the ones that are younger, maybe non-white, so that there's a little more inspiration there. In other words, diversity wins over experience and qualifications, and yes, that dreaded M-word, merit. CEO talks about hiring people. Uh, yes, I mean, when I started the business, one of the things you'll find, there are other sub-operators out there, but they, they typically um, have uh, gentlemen who are ex-military submariners, and they you'll see a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys. We can't have that. We can't have ex-military experienced submariners who are 50-year-old white guys. We can't have that. Who wants a 50-year-old white guy with a bunch of experience under the water? Diversity is more important than that. I think Dave Rubin put it best. Dave Rubin tweeted uh, a little bit earlier this morning on this very subject. When you're looking at things like submariners, in this particular case, 
when you're looking at things like, I don't know, airline pilots, when you're looking at things like surgeons, definitely you want diversity over the top most qualified people, right? Dave Rubin wrote, soon we'll have pilots who can't fly and heart surgeons who can't operate, all in the name of equity. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I can tell you this, if I ever have to go under the knife, the last thing I'm going to do is say, is the surgeon younger and non-white so that we can have more inspiration as they operate on me? I don't think I'll be asking for that. I think I'll be asking for your most highly qualified and experienced surgeon to operate on me and save my life. I don't care if he's purple I don't care if he's got blue hair. I don't care if he's black. I don't care what he is. If he or she is the very best at what they do, that's who I want operating on me. How about you when you hop on that next cross-country flight? Hey, it's vacation season. Do you know that today is the first day of summer? Are you going on any vacations, any trips? Do you want to climb on board your plane with the most experienced and, and qualified pilot taking you from here to wherever? Or do you want somebody who's a little younger, who's uh, uh, maybe uh, from, a, from a, a, a marginalized community, a marginalized race, somebody who's you know fits the equity profile, fits the inclusion profile, fits the uh, diversity profile? Not really a great pilot, but they're learning. You're getting better. But you know, this is going to inspire other people to want to be pilots when you see a very young person who's a, a marginalized in a marginalized and protected class. Is that who you want flying you around? I can tell you damn well, I don't want to go down to the submar- or down in a submarine either with somebody who isn't the best at what they do because the owner of the submarine didn't want a bunch of 50-year-old white guys who happen to be ex-military and experienced submariners. I want to go with the diverse, the younger, the inspirational, younger person of color or woman of color or woman of some other sort of marginalized group to, to take me down so that others are inspired to get into this field. of, of uh, this, uh, this field. Simply unbelievable. we got a lot to get into today. We're going to talk about Hunter Biden with Jack Windsor. We're going to talk about some issues uh, uh, in Ohio legislature, the Ohio legislature, the General Assembly as well. That's coming up at 935. Carrie Lake at 1010 and Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State at 1110. Stay here. Always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. New York Post headline this morning. Hunter Biden's plea deal is proof Democrats are the untouchables in Joe's America. As recently as a few short months ago, Joe Biden, when asked about the long five-year investigation into his son on tax evasion, failing to pay taxes, failing to file taxes, also weapons charges, continued to say, my son has done nothing wrong. These are all politically motivated charges. Yesterday, Hunter Biden pled guilty to those charges in exchange, of course, for an absolute wrist slap, probation for two years for not paying his taxes, and a diversion program for his illegal obtaining of a weapon, which he's not allowed to have because he's an addict. Joe Biden yesterday said, you know, you said... That there was um, 
that there was uh, nothing to these charges against your son. He had done nothing wrong. Well, he has now pled guilty. What do you have to say about this now, Mr. President? I'm very proud of my son. I'm very proud of my son. By the way, just checking, are you the same guy who screamed during the budget negotiations that the wealthy must pay their fair share of taxes? Just checking. Joe Biden, the wealthy has got to start paying their fair share. Is your son wealthy? He did not only pay his fair share, he neglected to pay anything at all. And now... He gets more than a sweetheart deal. He gets the Biden family discount, which is you don't have to pay and you don't go to jail. You get a misdemeanor charge. Lord, tell me how this would be if Hunter Biden's name was Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump. Tell me that the same exact deal would be offered with the Biden Department of Justice. Simply unbelievable. We're going to talk to Windsor about that and more coming up. Always right radio at AM 1420. The Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. Okay, 937. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio on this Wednesday. This is a special treat for you. If you're normally a uh, uh, third-hour listener to this program, you hear Jack Windsor each and every Wednesday. But if you are a first-hour listener, you don't get Jack except for today. So a special treat for you as we bring in the founder and the uh, uh, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He's also our State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer, and he's got a crowd of fans that follow him wherever he goes. Gentlemen, uh, welcome Jack Windsor to the program, everybody. He's got a cheering section like no other, and he deserves it. Hey, Jack Windsor, good morning, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me this morning. Good to be here. You got it. So, Jack, I want to start uh, on, a, on a national story rather than Ohio, which normally yeah. you and I talk about Ohio issues, which we will. <laughs> but Hunter Biden yesterday um, had a five-year investigation into him come to a close with a whimper, not with a thud. A, uh, a plea deal was agreed upon in which he refused to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes on millions of dollars in earnings back in 2017 to 2018. These charges, which typically would result in jail time for anybody in America whose last name is not Biden, uh, they were uh, dropped down to misdemeanors. He was given probation on those. He also lied uh, in order to obtain a weapon that he has no business owning because he is a drug addict. And uh, weapons under disability laws say people like that cannot have weapons. Uh, that was uh, also uh, pled down, and he was given a diversion program, which means if he, if he goes uh, uh, apparently a period of time without shooting anybody, they'll go ahead and drop it. Uh, Jack, I, I, I want your reaction to this, uh, and then also, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little comparison. If the same exact story played out in Hunter Biden's name was Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump and not Hunter Biden in the same circumstances. Jack, you still there? And Jack's phone. Yeah, sure did. 
Well, that's bad timing, uh, right when he was about to start. Uh, but, yeah, the question is, of course, uh, how would this thing have been done if it weren't for the uh, the Biden crime family? Obviously, making sure that nobody is held accountable for crimes. That's a, a good crime family, by the way, knows how to make sure you don't get charged with and or have to pay a penalty for uh, for crimes. You can't be a good crime family without being really good at crime. And the Biden crime family is obviously uh, in that uh, in that realm. So we're going to reconnect with Jack Windsor, and he probably should be there by now. Uh, I don't know how long this can take. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's uh, that's that's troubling and problematic. Well, then I'll just go ahead and give you the uh, information that I wanted to give you. I started talking about this before. Uh, the bottom of the hour break there, anyway, is, is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the president who declares that all of the spending problems we have in our country, all of the economic issues we have and so forth, um, are because we don't have enough spending resources. Like every other tax and spend liberal before him, the answer is tax, 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 tax. And specifically making sure that you know that the wealthy, the wealthy, must pay their fair share. How many terms have we played those clips of Joe Biden saying the wealthy must pay their fair share? Well, Hunter Biden is wealthy. Hunter Biden is wealthy probably from illegal means. Hunter Biden is probably uh, the recipient of millions of dollars that he did not earn because he was given a job on a board of an energy company in two different uh, countries, in Ukraine and in China, uh, in countries whose language he did not speak, in fields, the energy fields, that he has no expertise in or experience in, but he was given millions of dollars in salaries anyway. Why? Because that last name is Biden, and that gave those companies access to the White House when Joe was the vice president. We know all of this. We also know that Joe Bi- or that Hunter Biden, according to uh, testimony offered by whistleblowers and by an official FBI-created form, FD-1023 form, uh, received bribes from these com- these uh, countries, as did his dad, millions of dollars worth. So we are talking about a millionaire, but Joe Biden has gone from pay fair share to um, I love my son who cheated on all of his taxes. I'm very proud of my son. You can hear the questions being shouted at him. You can hear every reporter saying, we need something more than that. I'm very proud of my son. Your son is a crackhead who banged his dead brother's widow, who fathered an out-of-wedlock child that he will not support, that you won't even acknowledge. He is on video... Doing crack, smoking crack, with naked hookers. He has a laptop which has outlined extraordinary amounts of criminal activity, not only from his own his own uh, uh, personal situations, but from yours. He left that laptop at a laptop repair shop. And forgot to go back and get it because he was high. He was stoned out of his mind. You had your FBI declare that this was not true. It was Russian information. It's the only reason you're president right now. 
And you're going to tell me that your only answer to this is, I'm proud of my son? How are you proud of that guy? And how are you not holding him accountable for the crimes that other Americans would have been held accountable if they're not, because their last names are not Biden? This destroys any and all credibility that Joe Biden has ever had. Ever. John Solomon writes this. In his job interview with voters during the 2020 election, Joe Biden assured Americans that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. He never had any dealings with his family's business partnerships and that his son was innocent of any wrongdoings. While the first two claims were shattered a long time ago, Biden has held firm on the last one, that my son has done nothing wrong. He said this just a few short weeks ago. But the criminal information that was filed yesterday in federal court, despite the fact that it was a sweetheart deal and pled down, the criminal information shows that he intentionally wasn't an oversight. It was intentionally avoiding payment of his federal taxes and lying about his drug use in order to buy a handgun. It just completely debunks Joe Biden's last line of defense. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, conservatives all up and down in the uh, in the Congress, have derided the plea agreement as a sweetheart deal and a traffic ticket, ticket emblematic of the two-tiered system of justice because it spares Hunter Biden from prison. It's truth. But the plain language of the deal threatens, and this is what John Solomon writes, to boomerang on the Biden Democrat agenda for 2024 that has made one of its centerpieces harsher gun control and an IRS crackdown on those who don't pay their fair share. I mean, literally, this is you couldn't write this. It's not believable enough that the Biden, I'm going to crack down on hand, or on, uh, on, and by the way, a guy who doesn't even understand guns. You saw the, the comment about pistol braces uh, making guns fire higher caliber bullets. I, he has absolutely no idea how guns are, how guns work, what they do, uh, et cetera. But the guy who says that gun violence in America is going to go down, I'm going to make sure we're going to crack down on, on, uh, on, on uh, uh, illegally obtained guns in America. His son had an illegally obtained gun. And he's going to make sure the wealthy pay their fair share. His son refused to pay his taxes. Instead of the five years of denial that preceded Tuesday's events, when journalists like Miranda Devine, Washington, or excuse me, New York Post columnists, were falsely portrayed as conspiracy theorists and dis- disinformation artists for suggesting that Hunter Biden was uh, was breaking the law, Team Biden was suddenly uh, was dishing a, a sudden platter of accountability. Quote, Hunter will take responsibility for two instances of misdemeanor. No, they were dropped to misdemeanor to get the guilty plea. Failure to file tax payments when due pursuant to a plea agreement, a firearm charge which will be subject to a pretrial diversion agreement and will not be the subject of the plea agreement will also be filed by the government, said uh, his lawyer, Christopher Clark. I know Hunter believes it is important to take responsibility for these mistakes he made during a period of turmoil and addiction in his life. The period of turmoil and addiction in his life is is... His entire adult life. This isn't new. It isn't old. It's ongoing. Democrats distributed their talking point reports to their favorites in the media, which is anybody that's not uh, a conservative journalist, 
which means non-journalists altogether, saying this puts an end to the Biden family controversy. It's my understanding that the five-year investigation into Hunter is resolved, end quote, according to his attorney. Let me move on to a challenge to that. Because apparently House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer didn't get that memo. Nothing is over, James Comer said. Yesterday, Comer said that the sweetheart deal that was obtained by uh, Hunter Biden's lawyer, um, and of course with pushing from the president and the attorney general in the Department of Justice, um, means nothing. There is nothing that is over. These charges against Hunter Biden and the sweetheart plea deal have no impact on the Oversight Committee's investigation, Comer said. We will not rest until the full extent of President Biden's involvement in the family schemes are revealed. Former President Trump, of course, pointed out what I pointed out a moment ago. He said people are going wild over the Hunter Biden scam with the DOJ. His oldest son, Donald Trump Jr., again, if his name was on this entire situation, uh, he would be. he probably would be underneath Leavenworth. That's what they would have done with him if this was Donald Trump Jr. Skipping out on hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax uh, tax bills, uh, on millions of dollars of income, and obtaining weapons while under disability by lying on ATF. The ATF forms are not even, there's nothing here that's even remotely um, gray. It is very simple. It is very, very black and white. And there are prominent figures, including some, and the left won't tell you about this, African-American entertainers or rappers who literally have been charged with the same thing, who did time for them, talking about the gun crimes here, where Hunter Biden is not allowed to own a weapon, and you certainly are not allowed to lie on your, uh, your application form in order to get one. It's beyond just favoritism. If Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump had done the exact same thing and the Biden Department of Justice... The Biden federal prosecutors were the ones going after him. Like I said, either one of those Trump sons would be buried underneath uh, Leavenworth uh, Federal Prison. But if you are Joe Biden's son, you can do pretty much anything, and the only response you're going to get from the President of the United States... I'm very proud of my son. ...is that he's very proud of his crackhead son. It's 9.50. We'll take a time out. Always right. Radio AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 9.53. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Don't forget, Carrie Lake is uh, going to be joining me in about 13 minutes at about 10.10. Very much looking forward to the conversation with the former candidate for Arizona governor, who was a victim, I think, of maybe even a worse election fraud uh, than uh, President Trump was. So Carrie Lake is going to be joining us to talk about her new book and talk about the ongoing uh, presidential election cycle. Uh, I'm told that Jack Windsor is back with us now on AM 1420, The Answer. I have no idea what happened, but he's here. Uh, let, let's find out if he's here. Jack Windsor, are you here? Bob, I am here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. Um, wow. I, I apologize. I have a new phone, and uh, it just completely shut off <laughs> in the middle of my uh, hearing your question about Hunter Biden. So uh, I apologize. I'm sure you had to punt there. But uh, those, uh, those those new phones usually come with that. There's a little thing in the uh, upper right hand corner. It's a it's a it's like a picture of a battery. Generally, it tells you when it has actual life in it or not. That's that's what yeah, I found from yeah, the new I phones. The new phones all have those. The- <laughs> 
<laughs> it's, it's actually the weird part is it's actually literally plugged in and run. I, I've never experienced anything like that. So I apologize. <laughs> Well, just briefly, uh, Jack, because we don't have uh, time to talk about all the things we wanted to. Then uh, I was yeah. going to ask you first about Hunter Biden and uh, and the deal that was got here. This is a uh, that was obtained, I should say. You know, this is we talk about the two tiered system of justice in the Trump per, uh, prosecution slash persecution on the document scandal, and then literally while that's going on, here we are with the son of. Um, of the president who has been under investigation for five years. He has not paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. They didn't say it was accidental. They didn't say it was a misunderstanding. They didn't say he was questioning uh, the bill. He just intentionally would not pay, and then he lied about getting a gun. And uh, no big deal. Uh, go have a nice day, Mr. Uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, your thoughts, Jay? Well, my, my thoughts are probably similar to what Vivek Ramaswamy tweeted uh, about the incident. And uh, I'm not sure if he had a chance to read what what he said, but he said that the plea deal is a joke. It's it's feigned and it's a retreat. And it reveals that uh, some folks are more scared than ever of scrutiny for real crime. And I believe that. And I, and I believe it. Um, it really, to me, drives home the suspicion that I had when I heard the special prosecutor say there's one set of laws in this country. Well, is there one set of laws? Because, you know, the, the 14th Amendment is supposed to ensure equal justice under the law. And uh, it, it just does not appear when you look back, just go back from 2016 forward and um, look at, I don't know, what were there, 38 different people in 90 different instances where classified documents were mishandled. But back then, uh, the FBI director said not a reasonable prosecutor wouldn't do anything about this. And I'm talking about Hillary Clinton emails. And by the way, we, we, we will never know the content of some of those. Um, and James Comey at that time uh, allowed fudging of documents that were presented to a FISA court to spy on Donald Trump's campaign. I mean, that's espionage, isn't it? Uh, so those things don't, you know, they don't get treated the way that uh, it appears Donald Trump is going to be treated. And now we have Joe Biden's son, who, uh, frankly, is, is, is really skating, in essence. I mean, you hit it when you talked about it earlier, uh, other folks would do jail time. And if this were other Donald Trump... Other folks have done jail time for the exact same things. And we're talking about significant jail time, too. You know, I mean, it's not it's not hypothetical here. I mean, it's hypothetical when I say Donald Trump's sons, but I just mean mm -hmm. citizens and entertainers and others who have committed the same exact gun crimes, uh, not paid taxes, have indeed gotten serious penalties, uh, in, including incarceration. And uh, and that's, that's the real issue here is we're not even talking about hypotheticals. We have examples. You have examples. And, you know, now you have Merrick Garland essentially uh, punting on the issue, right, saying, well, uh, the federal attorney that was really charged with doing what was going to be done, that's his responsibility. And so, you know, he's kind of wiping his hands of it. Um, I, I think what we'll see is this will be um, fodder for the press. They'll say, well, yeah, yeah, you, you say that nothing's been done. But look, Hunter Biden, you know, he admitted he did something wrong and he entered into a plea deal, which is legal, so, you know, shut well, up. And, and that's and and, and Jack, Jack, what you just said I want to follow up on, because it's about Joe Biden now. It's not about Hunter Biden. Just weeks ago, for the mo in the most recent example, Joe Biden declared when asked about his son's legal problems, my son has done nothing wrong. He said this with authority and with clarity. Right. Well, then why did your son just plead guilty to these crimes? Right. 
clearly Joe Biden. You know, the other thing is Joe Biden has said numerous times, I don't discuss and have never discussed business with my son. Whatever business interests he has are his, and I don't do it. We have plenty of actual, verifiable, printed evidence that he had through emails. He had plenty of conversations with his son about business. So as we, we continue to look at, uh, you know, the, the allegations of bribery uh, from, uh, you know, uh, a Ukrainian uh, energy oligarchs giving money yep. to, to Hunter Biden and to Joe Biden for crying out loud, Jack, we can believe nothing that this president says about any potential illegal dealings involving his son, can we? No, we can't. And and frankly, Bob, this goes back to, I believe the book was Profiles in Corruption. And, uh, you know, it published a few years back and it outlined that Hunter Biden made those deals while riding shotgun on Air Force Two with his dad. So it's it's a little bit disingenuous to to pretend like he didn't know what Hunter was up to. Uh, and was he even involved directly? I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of arrows that point to that being the fact, but that is the target, right? It's, it's the Ukrainian executive of oligarch-owned Burisma and uh, the money that was given to the Biden family. And, you know, was it quid pro quo? Uh, was it for buying policy? And now we're dumping uh, billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars back into Ukraine. And, yeah. and In other words, we're funding the bribe. We're funding the bribe. We are literally giving our tax dollars to Joe and Hunter Biden, and the intermediary happens to be the Ukrainian energy oligarch. So how about that? Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, Jack, we're out of time. I wish we had more. We'll get you next week. Get that phone charged up for us uh, or, or fixed up or whatever, and we'll talk to you again next week. Jack Windsor, thank you. Thanks, Bob. All right. 10 o'clock. Carrie Lake's going to join me next. AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two underway at six minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. It is a Wednesday, the 21st morning of the sixth month, otherwise known as the month of Groom. Groom 21st, year of our Lord, 2023. If you would have told me two years ago, three years ago, that I would be in the middle of a political movement, I would have said, put down Hunter's crack pipe. Right now. Right now. I can't afford the groceries. It's Biden flesh and cross the nation. 81 million votes my ass. Hey, 81 million votes my ass. You failed to build back better. Your middle finger, the middle class. They've pissed off an already pissed off woman. 81 million votes my ass. I am just wearing this song out. in broad daylight. We're living on planet crazy. Better believe it. This song by the by the Truth Bombers featuring Carrie Lake is the number one most downloaded song on iTunes. 
not most downloaded political song. And at first I chuckled. I said, oh my gosh, Hillary Clinton is actually talking about me? That's funny. And then I got to thinking, maybe that's not funny. Oh my gosh, help, help. And I just want you all to know, I'm in perfect health. We've recently had our automobile serviced, and the tires are good, and the brakes are in good order, and I am not suicidal. But the number one song, period. It's because it's a jam in addition to being an amazing message. 81 million votes, my ass. It is by the Truth Bombers featuring Carrie Lake, and we are honored now to be to welcome to the program this uh, top-of-the-chart singer, soon to be receiving a Grammy, I would hope anyway, <laughs> Carrie Lake, former former candidate for governor in the state of Arizona before one of the most corrupt elections in American history took place. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. I apologize for making you wait, Carrie Lake, but your song rocks, and, I, and I'm having way too much I fun with it. I love it. That's so great. You know, I never, ever thought, if you would have told me I was going to be on three billboard charts, topping number one on two of them, <laughs> Um, and uh, I would have a song, um, I would have just said, though, that's absolutely impossible because I'm not a singer. I don't sing very well. And here we have it. God's working in amazing ways. And um, we're speaking with, um, with, our, with our money now, and we're speaking with our attention. Our attention's so valuable. We're not going to give it to the fake news. We're going we're gonna to buy things, go places where they support our American values. And I'm honored to be in that song I wanted people to start talking about our corrupt elections, and now they're singing about it. So we That's won right. there. <laughs> yeah, well, you're hitting every form of uh, media there there is. You've been on television, obviously. You are uh, now on radio with 81 million votes, my ass. And you are now in print, Unafraid, Just Getting Started by Carrie Lake, just released this month. Actually, it's about to be released, I should say, next week. Uh, you can find more information on the book at CarrieLake.com and Winning Team Publishing as well. Carrie, uh, before we talk about the book, let me talk about the the 81 million vote song from the standpoint of the 81 million votes. This was something that we are expected to believe that Joe Biden campaigned from his basement, uh, which means he didn't campaign at all, and somehow managed to get more votes than anybody in the history of American presidential elections. Meanwhile, your opponent in this past year's Arizona gubernatorial election followed the same model, did not campaign, would not debate you, stayed down low, stayed in the basement, almost as if she knew she had it in the bag. Between those two elections, similar campaign styles, which is to say not at all, it's almost as if they knew it was in the bag, which is kind of the point, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, and let's just think about this. Let's look at it from a little bit further back, because sometimes we're in the middle of things we don't realize that we're being fooled, although you and I do and your listeners do. Um, We've got three candidates in in John Fetterman. I'm just using these three as an example. John Fetterman, Katie Hobbs, and Joe Biden. They cannot communicate. They are not just awkward, but um, they have an inability to relate to people. They have no policy they together, all three of them combined, might have an IQ of 60 or 70. Um, they're, they're pushing dismal dead-end uh, ideas with the, with the Marxist Democrat Party. And they don't campaign. And, and they expect us to believe that Katie Hobbs won this election and that Joe Biden won 80, the, the most votes in, in the history of this country but it goes to show you how powerful Donald Trump was. He was so popular. People wanted him back. They went out and voted for him. He was the most popular, got the most 
number one uh, amount of votes for any incumbent president, Mm -hmm. and they had to blow it out for Joe Biden in such an outrageous way. But you know what? As long as we're falling for it, they're going to keep doing that. He he lost 17 out of 18 bellwether counties. He only won 16 percent of counties across America. Um, And they want us to believe he got the most votes in the history of this great nation. Come on, guys. Time to wake up. We need to talk to our our friends on the other side and say we're being fooled here. And and I think they probably already know it on the other side. They just want us to believe it. Carrie, you know what you know what's most aggravating is you know you say they, they they expect us to swallow that and believe that I don't think they do and they don't care they know that we don't believe it they know we don't buy it and they're basically being so brazen about it they're saying we the fact that they did it again in Arizona proves that they know they're untouchable and that's the most terrifying part to me as somebody who supports this this republic is that they are literally saying we can cheat and steal elections whenever we want to we just did it in the most brazen way ever in 2020 and as a matter of fact we're hold my beer we're doubling down on it in Arizona and we're doing it even worse tell me more about your oh, you're right. election theft it, Carrie, because great. it's 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 worse it's more egregious i think it it was more egregious more right in broad daylight it's unbelievable and i just got to chill up my spine the way you described it they know that we know they're mm-hmm. cheating they know they're doing it right in front of our faces and they're basically saying yeah what are you going to do about it sit down and shut up well i'm not sitting down and i'm not shutting up and we're going we're suing them and we're still in court we're appealing and listen people will say wait but, but the judge ruled against you what the judge another judge ruled against you we are showing the country and the world how they're cheating in elections. Our case is the first um, election case to actually be heard. And we're putting out information, and we are uh, waking up the public as to what's being done. They knew they could not allow me to win. They could not let me win. They couldn't let the voters in Arizona choose who the governor would be because my policy was day one, hour one, we call it what it is, an invasion at the border. We take control of our border. We stop this human smuggling, child trafficking, drug trafficking, and we put a stop to it in Arizona. And we also start on day one reforming our elections and bringing back election day, paper ballots, get rid of the machines. And they went, oh, my gosh, we can't have her. We will, we're just going to have to steal it in broad daylight. And they did that. They rigged the machines. We have them on video rigging the machines to break down. And they rolled those machines out on Election Day where nearly 60% of the polling locations had failing machines and they were all in the Republican areas. They intentionally printed the wrong image on the ballot paper so that the machines would jam. And a quarter of a million ballots were kicked out, rejected on Election Day. And they also pumped in, by the way, 300,000 bogus ballots before Election Day with no chain of custody, bogus mail-in ballots. They didn't follow signature verification on hundreds of thousands of others. And a couple of days after Election Day, when they realized they still didn't have enough to cheat and win, they threw in additional 35,000 bogus ballots. These people are sick. And if we do not stand up and fight them, and I'm fighting them in court, we're going to face the lawfare. We're going to double down with even more lawfare. And we're going to take our case to the U.S. Supreme Court. Because we are not going to sit down and take this anymore. We're going to stand up and fight back. And I hope we can get it to the Supreme Court by 24. I really do. Bob, I don't know what the future holds, but I know we have a hell of a case and we have the truth on our side. And um, I'm not going to stop throwing punches until we get our elections turned around for our children's sake. 
Well, that's exactly what I'm fighting for as well. Uh, Carrie Lake is my guest. She is, of course, the former gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, one of the most firebrand conservatives and most popular conservatives in America today. Her book is called Unafraid, Just Getting Started. It comes out next week on June 27th. It's going to be available at CarrieLake.com, Winning Team Publishing, uh, of course, Amazon and everywhere else that you get your books. I, I keep thinking back to what you just said, and you, you mentioned, you know, oh, you know, the judge kicked it out. The judge, of course, kicked out. Judge Judges kicked out almost every lawsuit that was brought by uh, uh, on President Trump's behalf after the 2020 stolen election. Um, how how do we turn this around? I agree with you. You need to get this to the Supreme Court, but it's probably going to be you know there's going to be a whole lot of defeats in front of you because it appears. Uh, I don't I don't want to go over the top here when I say this is conspiratorial, but I mean there's no way that the judicial system can be as corrupt as the electoral system is, can it? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we're finding that out it's from from top to bottom. It's corrupt. I mean, the the beautiful thing about our case is that, unfortunately, in 2020, none of these cases were heard on their merits. They just weren't. They were rejected on standing, latches. You know, they tried to find ways out. And now our case was heard. And, and, and even though we had 10 incredible counts, the judge only let us, you know, bring forth two, and they were the hardest to prove, but we did it. And now we're, we're actually exposing the judges, and we're exposing the Supreme Court. And and because the truth is there, we're putting this out, and the public is able to watch it. And they go, wait a minute, how could this judge rule? He saw the evidence, and the people of Arizona know because they saw what happened. They experienced what happened. Unlike in 2020, some Arizonans might not have experienced it. It wasn't done where they where they basically rolled out broken machines that were rigged to break. Yeah. Um, and so they did it right in front of everyone's eyes. And people who maybe weren't as wrapped up in what happened in 2020 all of a sudden in 22 experienced it they were disenfranchised their sacred vote was trampled and so we are we're we're putting it out into the court system we need to work our way through the arizona courts in order to get it to the supreme court i've heard that the supreme court actually wants an election case and i i hope it's ours because i feel that ours is that strong the truth is on our side i just wish things moved faster but, um, you know, we're going as fast as we can and we're working as quickly as we can. And guess what? If we're exposing more corrupt individuals, good, because we need these people out of our government, out of our, um, our judicial system. And hopefully when we get President Trump in there for a victory, um, we can really root out the corruption at every level and just have people who love our country in these positions. Carrie Lake, um, you mentioned 24. We hope to be able to get this uh, resolved and maybe to the Supreme Court before 24. Probably not likely, but whether we do or we don't, how confident are you that 24 will be any better than 20 or 22 in the two cases we just talked about? In terms, well, of, in terms of the uh, of the, the uh, in- integrity of the election, yes. I'm not 100%. I'm not confident, obviously, and that's why I continue to fight. I've had Republicans. I mean, the Republicans, by the way, in Maricopa County, where 65% of our population resides, you know, you can steal one county and take the whole state. And that's why we have to, these mega counties are very dangerous when they have corrupt individuals operating them. It was Republicans who ran the election in Maricopa County. I wish I could stand here before you and say it was Democrats, it was Republicans, it was Rhino Republicans who. The men who ran our election in Maricopa County also ran a super PAC raising tens of thousands of dollars to defeat uh, candidates who questioned the integrity of our elections. They call them election deniers. And then we found out that all of their expenditures were aimed at one candidate 
yours truly. I'm at the top of the ballot that they control, and they're running a super PAC to defeat me while they are rigging elections. It's really horrifying what was going on. So I'm not 100% confident, but what I am confident of is they do not want Trump on the ticket because they know he will win in another landslide. And if they pull what they did in 2020 and what they did to us in 22, I think they realize they will not get away with it, that the people will absolutely not put up with it. And this is why they're trying everything they can, throwing you know indictments and lawsuits, everything they can at Trump to stop him. They don't want him on the ticket. I had about two months ago a very powerful person come to my door. He called me and said, i got to talk to you, and, and, you know, I can't do this on the phone. Showed up, tried to offer me a prestigious job, big salary, position on a board, if I would promise him that I would not get on the ticket again. I wouldn't run for office. I wouldn't be on the, on the ballot in 24. I mean, that tells you everything. They do not want populists because they know they're going to have to cheat again, and it's, the public won't, won't have it. I told them to get the hell out. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I already walked away from a prestigious career, a huge paycheck, and I'm not motivated by money. And as I'm skirting him off of my property and saying, you know, bye-bye, he said, what would it take? What Basically, what is your price to put your political movement on ice? Can you believe that? You hear about that kind of stuff and you don't think it would ever happen. They are so afraid of putting populist candidates on the ballot in 24 because I think they're going to they're trying to cheat again, and they know the public will, there will be an outrage. And so we just have to vote. We, we, what we have to do is make sure people get out and vote, even in their rigged system, because it makes it harder, and they have to do it very blatantly in broad daylight, and they're being exposed. We are talking with Carrie Lake, former candidate for governor in Arizona. You know what happened to her, very similar to what happened to President Trump in 2020. Her new book is called Unafraid, Just Getting Started. It comes out next week. Carrie, I want to read the last paragraph of the foreword for our listeners here and get you to respond to this. Uh, the foreword is written by the former president of the United States, number 45, President Donald J. Trump, quote, In a situation like this, many candidates, too weak to fight, throw their hands up and accept this horrible and very unfair situation. But not Carrie Lake. She has a great big heart, but is as strong a fighter as there is. Carrie knows we have no choice but to win because they are destroying our country. Carrie Lake's story does not end in a defeat because she is just getting started. Two questions, Carrie. One, what does that mean to you to have the former president uh, in your corner in such a way? And number two, this is no secret, of course, whenever anybody talks about the second half of the Trump ticket, your name is one of the first ones thrown out there. Have you thought about it? Have you talked about it? You're uh, perhaps joining with President Trump in an official capacity. Well, um, I'll start with the first part of that. I, mm-hmm. It means so much to me that he wrote the foreword for my book, and it, you, you hear his voice when you read it. And I have... I can't believe that I have, um, you know, such a great friendship with him that developed over the course of, of my campaign. But I actually, as a journalist, interviewed him twice. He granted me two exclusive interviews, and he knew that I was fair. And he, um, I, it wasn't my job as a journalist to try to drag this person down. It was my job to present good questions that people could learn from and, and put it out there fairly. So he, he saw me as a fair journalist. And then he, you know, when he found that I was running, I don't think he remembered me as a journalist, but he saw that I had a movement in Arizona, and he, and he recognized that the people were with me, much like they are with him. So we've developed a great friendship. I enjoy um, taking advice from him. I talk to him. Sometimes he asks me my advice, and I'm just, 
honored to call him friend. And I am, as a citizen, um, fighting for him. And I speak very highly of him because he's a great president. He did so much for our country, and I know he's fighting for our country, and he wants nothing in return. He didn't take a salary. And so when I speak for President Trump and I talk about him and the need to get him back in office, and I, I swear to you, I do this because I want him, as a mother, I want him back in office to turn this nightmare around. I want nothing in return for it. Never asked him to have be on the ticket, and I, that's the furthest thing from my mind right now. I just want to make sure we get Donald Trump back in office. I don't know what the future holds. We haven't talked about me being on the ticket with him. Um, I, I am considering... Have you thought about it, Carrie? I understand you haven't talked about it. Thank you for that answer. Have you thought about it, though, privately? Because you know he loves you. I mean, as a, as a, as a supporter, as an America First fellow patriot, he loves you and supports you. You obviously love and support and have endorsed him. Has it crossed your mind at all? Do you think about it in your private moments? Well, I, I think about it only because it's asked a lot, and I don't yeah. know where that whole thing got started. Um, you know, I, I don't think he put that out, and I, I think people are just trying to guess, and I love it actually when they do guess because it tells me, especially when the fake news asks me about it, I go, wow, well, if you're starting to talk about VP picks, you must be acknowledging that he's going to be the nominee, right? <laughs> um, so I have thought about it, and I'll do anything I can to help the president. I really will. I love my country, and I'm really, really concerned about the direction things are going. But I'm really thinking about a Senate run. We've got Kirsten Cinema up for re-election. She's been a disaster. She's voted with, um, you know, Biden, what, 93, 94, 95 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. That's not where the people of Arizona are. And we need to get someone who's going to go back to D.C. and dismantle this rigged, corrupt, disgusting system. And it's not going to be some insider who the hedge funds are supporting who's going to do that. So we need to get a fighter in D.C. And I'm, I'm considering that as well. I have some decisions to make. In the meantime, I'm going to be pushing my book, which is actually a really good book. I'm not just saying that. I promise you, if you get this book, it is a page-turner from page one. And um, you, will, you will hear stories in there about what it's like to be in politics when you are a complete outsider and a mom. And I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I have no doubt of that. I was able to read the first chapter of the book. I was uh, fortunate enough to get a forward copy of that. And so uh, it, let's talk about that. We're talking to Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is the author of a new book called Unafraid. And we'll talk about that title, too. Just Getting Started is the subtitle. It comes out next week, available wherever you get books. Amazon, go to com. It's a winning team publishing book. Um, but But... You said something that I think is very obvious, uh, that most people are expecting Donald Trump to be the nominee. Uh, I think the betting odds are very, very strong in his favor. The polls are extraordinary right now. But I have to ask you about the, the legal, uh, you know, situation. He's facing this ridiculous uh, documents charge in Florida. He's facing the, the garbage, uh, a hush money thing in, uh, in New York. And of course, there's probably another indictment coming from, uh, from, uh, Georgia. So the question becomes, how does he campaign, uh, you know, for the job during the season when he's going to be tethered to courtrooms in as many as three different states? Do you think that's going to be um, enough of an obstacle to hold him out? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be difficult, but he, he can do it if anybody can. He's the toughest, strongest person I know. And what choice does he have, right? He's just going to have to go through this. They're trying to, they're trying to not only, it's election interference by getting, um, you know, tying him up with all of this. Mm -hmm. They also want to empty his coffers. It's expensive to go to court. Lawyers are expensive. They don't work for free. 
and they want to drain his money and get another thing. They want the media talking about it. They want the media saying, hush money to a porn star, an indictment for classified doc. They want those phrases like little worms going into the minds of American people across this country. And that is the goal of this. It's not just to tie him up in court. It's not just to keep him off the campaign trail. <clears throat> it is to get into the minds of Americans. They want Americans to feel worn out and wiped out by all of it. And I, my message to Americans, if you're feeling that way, you don't want to give the victory to the bad guys who are lying to you and brainwashing you. We're not going to give the fake news media and the corrupt government um, the victory in this. We've got to fight with President Trump. I think if anybody can can handle both of these battles simultaneously it's unfair but i know it's trump i've talked to him before i remember walking i was meeting with him at mar-a-lago in his office and we walked um back towards his residence and we were chatting and i just said you know we we have a lot in common because we've had an election stolen i understand yeah. that i understand so hard because you care it's selflessness you just love your country you love your state and you're working hard and then they steal it and so we have that in common. And I said, how do you do it? I mean, uh, thank you for the fight, but how do you do it? Because he's got it 10 times worse than I do. And he said, what's our choice? What's our choice? You just have to get up every day and fight. And I thought, wow, this is, we look at him as um, Superman. Um, he's a real man. And I know this is difficult for him, but I, I'm just so thankful that he's willing to get up every day and fight. Well, I think answered. he can do Apologies. I was about to say, you kind of answered one of your earlier questions when you said, I don't know where why people are tying me to him for the possibility of being a VP candidate, uh, because you haven't brought that up, and he hasn't brought that up. But you answered the question, because you do share that commonality. You both have been robbed. You both are America first through and through, and most people think you would be a phenomenal addition to that ticket. Uh, and that's the reason why so many people are talking about it. Um, I should say about the VP pick, I want him to choose someone who's going to help him. You know, as we go down the, um, you know, months ahead, you're, he's going to find out where he needs help. And there might be somebody out there who can help him. And there might be another person who won't be as helpful. So we want, we want to make sure we, we cross the finish line with a victory. And I really want him to pick someone who's just going to help him. I, and I'm willing to do whatever I can. I, I do this because I love our country. And I, I know he is the right man for this moment in history. And so that's why I do this. And, and Carrie Lake, um, last thing about that, uh, because we were talking about being able to navigate the, the, the challenges of all of these indictments and court matters and so forth along with a primary campaign. Um, a lot of people are saying this is what the Democrats want. He sees a spike in his poll numbers every time they hit him with something new, like these indictments. Uh, they want him to win because they feel like he is going to show up in the in the general election in such a damaged position with his reputation taking so many hits with all of these different things that moderate or undecided voters are never going to go for him, and it's going to make it easier to beat him in the general. How do you respond to those things? Mm-hmm. I've seen polls where he's beating Biden. I mean, I'll never believe that America would rather have a, um, you know, the guy who can't walk upstairs, um, who stole an election already before, who's, who's tanked our economy, who's starting wars all over, who has taken payouts from our adversaries, the communist Chinese regime, and taken payouts from Ukraine. I'll never believe that that's what the American people want. Are, you convinced, man- he's, are you convinced he'll be there? 
for the that he'll be on the yep. top of that because you know Gavin Newsom isn't acting like a governor. Gavin Newsom is traveling this country and acting like a candidate. I'm curious. Do you think that it's, it's a foregone conclusion that it will be Biden? Okay, well let's then flip it. I'll never believe that Americans want what Gavin Newsom has done to California across this country. I mean, I have a chapter in my book, The Californication of America. You've got the saying, don't California my Arizona, don't California my Florida, don't California my Texas. Mm -hmm. And you know what that means? Don't Gavin Newsom our state. So Trump will beat any of these guys because the Democrats' policies are destructive, dead-end policies that end in uh, our children being hurt and not learning, but being um, indoctrinated that end with the homeless crisis ballooning out of control that end with uh, drug crisis, open borders, just uh, terrible business practices that drive small businesses out of the marketplace. I don't think Americans will vote for that. And I think Trump is the only Republican who can win. And here's why. He has the MAGA base, the America first base so firmly with him. And they see what these other candidates are about. They see the people and the money behind these other Republican candidates. And there's going to be a large group of people who are Trump supporters who will not vote for a uniparty Republican. You know, it's just they won't win. There's no way these other guys on the ticket in the general will win. And we will be saddled with a Biden or we will end up saddled with a Newsom if it's not Trump. That's my belief. Carrie Lake, I want to talk just about the little bit of your book I've been able to read, which is Chapter 1, The Red Pill Generation. And you make a really interesting comparison in this Chapter 2. Uh, President Reagan, who who once famously said, I didn't leave the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party left me. And you compared that to your exit from your lucrative and successful career in the media, that the media changed. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I said, you know, journalism changed. I'm a journalist, but journalism ceased to exist. I walked away during COVID. Uh, I worked really hard. I'm from a family of nine. I'm from Iowa. I was born in, uh, I was raised in Iowa, family of nine. I'm the youngest. And so we didn't have a lot and we had to work for everything we got. I worked my way through college, paid my way through college, and then um, worked to get into the broadcast um, journalism business and worked my way up to a really lucrative top spot. 22 years as the number one news anchor and news face in Arizona, 30 years as a broadcast journalist. And during COVID, I I lifted my nose off the grindstone, I think like so many of us, working, working, working. And I looked around at the landscape of journalism, and it didn't exist anymore. It was all propaganda. We were pushing fear, division, isolation, half-truths, which are just lies. And I, I just was having a real... It was it was really a crisis, a moral crisis. I said to my husband one night, I said, I, this isn't just bias anymore. I could handle the bias because I could always work around it, ad lib my way around a script to make sure that we, we made it balanced. But when the scripts are just lies and disinformation, misinformation, I can't work around that. And I, it became immoral. And I said to my husband one night, I know this is immoral, and if I continue doing it, that makes me immoral. And then i got to take that up with God someday, and I don't want that meeting. And and how do you feel about me walking away from my career? And I'm, I was in a seven-figure contract, and, you know, we, we had discussions. We prayed a lot, and we just said, we got to do the right thing here. I didn't realize it was going to, you know, resonate with people, 
But I put out a video when I left because I wanted the people of Arizona who I'd been in their homes for nearly 30 years to know why I was leaving. I wasn't leaving just to pursue other opportunities. I was leaving because I had a serious problem with the quality of news that was out there. I have a serious problem not being able to tell the full truth. And when I put that video out, my phone just blew up. I had thousands, tens of thousands of messages from all over the world, hundreds of thousands. It was, it was seen by millions of people. And the common thread I was getting from Arizonans was, oh, my gosh, you just acted so courageously. You're giving me the courage to do the right thing. And would you please run for office? And that's how I ended up running for office. I was I was recruited by the people, much like Ronald Reagan was. So um, that's how I ended up in politics. And my book goes into a lot of my childhood and how I got into politics. And then the crazy roller coaster that is a statewide gubernatorial race that really became a nationwide movement. I think people are really going to enjoy some of the turns and twists. I love I love it. What a great story and what a great explanation. Carrie Lake's book is called Unafraid, Just Getting Started. Let me ask you about that subtitle super quick. You, you know, I mentioned the, the possibility of being a VP candidate. You mentioned maybe going after Kirsten Sinema and going into the United States Senate. When you say just getting started, does that mean specifically running for an office or um, you're going to be involved in politics in a number of ways? It's funny because we were just going to name it. I said, you know, let's just name it Unafraid. And then I got to brainstorming with my team. And I said, you know what? Actually, I want to send a tinge of fear up the spines of these um, uniparty folks. Let's add a subtitle, Just Getting Started. (laughs) So we added that. And um, just as a, a warning to them, we're not going away. Our movement's not going away. This is a movement of mama bears. What what the powers that the elite you know, political elite, government bureaucracy did to our children and our families and our businesses during COVID is unforgivable, unforgivable. And, you know, we're moms and dads out there. We're busy raising our kids, and many moms and dads are also working. And all of a sudden we look around and go, holy crud, I got to now get involved and save our country? And, yes, we do, and we're willing to do that. But the most dangerous place in nature is between a mama bear and her baby cubs. And that's exactly where this corrupt uniparty, this corrupt government has found itself. And when you get the moms involved, you got, a, a, you know, we're going to open a can of whoop ass on these people. I don't know if I can say that on your show. You better believe you can. You better believe <laughs> you can, I and I expect you to live up to that. I know you will, based on every, any, everything I've learned about your career since you burst onto the national scene from the, uh, you know, from the uh, television screens in, in uh, Arizona to the national stage. Um, you've been inspirational, and uh, and I think this book is going to really inspire a lot of people as well. It's called Unafraid, Just Getting Started. And there's, uh, a, lot and of, I, there's a lot of juicy tidbits in there. You know, I covered the McCains, and I've covered a lot of rhinos in my. <laughs> And, and I did not hold back. So um, hopefully people will enjoy some of these stories that they've never heard of about some of the people that, that they have heard about, but they haven't heard the backstory on some of them. Well, I, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, particularly on the uh, judicial front. Again, you're fighting the fight. You are going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if you can get there to prove what was done to you, to make sure that uh, elections actually have meaning and have integrity, not in Arizona, but all across this country. Yours is a very important, maybe even a seminal case. So let's hope yeah. and pray to God that there is an opportunity for you to make that case. Carrie, can I add one thing? Can please? I add one thing real quick? I don't know yeah. if we have time, but um, 
you know, you might live in a state or county where the elections are run okay. There's a few of them. I think, frankly, all 50 states need to improve their elections for, for true integrity. And you might think, well, who cares what happens in Arizona? Well, obviously, you should care because every state's a border state when our border's wide open. 100%. But when you allow these big mega counties and states to run corrupt elections, even in the state where they're running good elections, your vote is watered down or it's meaningless. You know, this country didn't vote for Joe Biden. And by allowing and turning our head and ignoring um, in Arizona and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and really, really corrupt states, by ignoring corruption in our elections, your vote is meaningless. And we're getting stuck with people who we did not vote for to lead our country and, frankly, lead our world because America is such a leader in the world, or at least was before Joe Biden. So it should be important to all of us. And we should never tell people not to talk about 2020 and 2022. As a mother, you don't, when you have a problem in your family, you don't stick your head in the sand and ignore it. You, you get to the root of it and you solve it. And we're going to solve this. And, and I do believe we're going to be victorious and we're going to have our brightest days ahead. I, I know that. I love the optimism. I love the inspiration. Unafraid, just getting started. Carrie Lake's new book. Get it now at carrylake.com or actually pre-order it. It comes out next week. Carrie Lake, thank you for the time. Thank you for your fight. And, uh, and God bless you. And I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Cleveland. Thank you so much. All right, that's Carrie Lake. We uh, obviously took her a lot longer than we normally would. We blew past our 1030 news break, so we're going to catch up here, and then I'm going to welcome your phone calls until 1110, when, speaking of uh, improving state elections, all 50 states, as Carrie Lake just said, we happen to have the Secretary of State who runs the elections in Ohio, uh, Frank LaRoe, scheduled for 1110. So between now and then, we'll be able to hear from you. 216-901-0945. Don't forget to get her book at carrylake.com. We'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Alrighty, uh, great conversation with Carrie Lake. Really, really hope we enjoyed that. Yeah, right now. Wearing it out. Top song in America. She's going to have a best-selling book in America. The question is, is where does she go from there? Uh, I want to ask that question of you. You just heard uh, about a 35-minute interview with Carrie Lake. Um, you heard me talking to her about potentially joining President Trump if she was invited uh, to be the number two on his ticket. She floated, and this is the first time I've heard it. I don't know if it was necessarily qualifies as breaking news now, but I have not heard her talk about potentially running for the Senate against Kirsten Sinema in, uh, in Arizona. So it brings to, to mind this question. Where would you like to see Carrie Lake next? Would you like to see her as Donald Trump's running mate? Would it help or hurt him? You know, a lot of people find Carrie Lake to be um, a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, I don't want to use the word toxic. She's, she's very polarizing. In, a, in, the, in the same way Donald Trump is, millions love her. But those who hate her, despise her because she's unapologetic 
and she's unafraid. Not to pump the book again, but that's what the book is called. She's unapologetic, and she's unafraid to tell it the way it is, to be completely uh, you know, bought into America first, which I am, which we should all be, America first, everyone else second. Doesn't mean we don't have allies that we are committed to. It doesn't mean we don't do great things around the world. We do. But it's got to be America first. She is a big part of that movement. Obviously, as is President Trump, who kind of coined it first. Um, so those who, those who love her, love her. And those who despise or don't, don't like her, despise her. Do you think she would help President Trump's ticket? Or would it be another reason for rhinos to push back against him? Would it be another reason for um, moderates, centrists, and undecideds to say, no way, I might have been able to go with Donald Trump if he had somebody who was a little bit more moderate, a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more, you know, yang to his yin, uh, that sort of thing, or yin to his yang, um, that I might might have been able to go with this and, and support him. But if there's going to be two Trumps on the ticket... The male version and the female version, and because she's so very similar to him in mindset, in personality, uh, obviously she supports him to the ends of the earth. Maybe two, two, two of them is too many. I'm curious. Would you like to see Carrie Lake as Donald Trump's running mate? Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Or would you like to see her? I'm not going to tell you. I would love her in the Senate too. Obviously, we need to take the Senate back. Obviously, we cannot allow them to continue to have their one or two vote majority in the Senate. It gets in the way of anything and everything that we can possibly try to do in the House. Uh, obviously, the House um, majority is far too small. Also, we all know this. Um, but I would, I would, I would have to think. But then again, I would have to think she would have eaten, easily beaten Katie Hobbs in uh, in Arizona, and they stole it from her. So if they can steal it from her in the gubernatorial race, I suppose we have to be just as cynical, don't we, that they could steal potentially a race against Kirsten Cinema for the Senate from her. Maybe it, maybe the national stage is the best stage for her as a uh, uh, as the number two uh, behind Donald Trump. Um, I love the fact, by the way, that she is fighting too. Uh, she is. Uh, challenging uh, the, the the court ruling that kicked out her her lawsuit against the state of Arizona for uh, election fraud. She is not allowing that to stop her. Quote, we are going to continue to not only raise funds, but energy for our legal team to continue pushing our case all the way to the United States Supreme Court. She said this last month, um, because Last month, Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson handed her, quote, another defeat, end quote, in her six-month effort to set aside the November election result. Lake has been an unusual, had an unusual two trials in her election challenge, both, both of which she lost after she was unable to present evidence to back up claims of official misconduct and faulty procedures. What's really frustrating about that, again, is it does kind of mirror the Trump uh, challenges to the uh, stolen election of 2020, which I continue to believe it was. Uh, I'm not going to put it all on one individual or a group of individuals, but I'm going to say there is no doubt in my mind that President Trump was robbed in 2020. I think anybody who's honest, uh, if you can set aside your partisanship or your like or dislike for the man, if you're honest, you'll admit that he was robbed. So was Kerry Lake. And he continues to lose or continued to lose all of the challenges, which kind of 
puts us in a position, at least in my opinion, where we have to have two different tracks. The time has come, in my view, for President Trump to put aside 2020. We talked about this with this conversation with Brett Baer. He was asked by Brett Baer in the interview two days ago, uh, Mr. President, uh, middle-class women voters don't like you. How do you win them over? How do you win them back? How do you get them on your side in 2024? And President Trump's response was to continue to claim that he did win in 2020 and he was robbed. I agree with that. I said this on yesterday's show, so I apologize for the redundancy, but um, I agree with him. He was robbed, but he can't keep pointing to that when he needs to be turned in the other direction and pointing forward. Um, He can't keep trying to convince people that he was robbed. We know he was robbed. Now let's move on to 2024. The reason I say there's two different, you know, kind of divergent roads here is because Carrie Lakes is much more recent. And Carrie Lake has not exhausted all of the, the legal resources. President Trump, uh, what did Brett Baer say? You know, some 50, 50 uh, ch- uh, court challenges have all been thrown out, most of them on standing and other ridiculous reasons why they didn't have to, have to hear it. Uh, those cases, the judges decided not to hear those cases. But um, but the bottom line is that uh, President Trump is is now looking at the next election and cannot keep looking back at the last one. Carrie Lakes, is, was, Carrie Lakes was just six months ago. If she wants to litigate this, I have absolute belief in her ability to litigate this. And if she can get it to the Supreme Court, for God's sake, she should. But there's two different situations there. President Trump needs to turn away from his um, stolen election, the defeat uh, at the hands of those who stole the election. You understand the meaning. Carrie Lake, I think, is in a different position. But this is this to me. I talked about this. This to me is the wrong path for President Trump to take. In 2020, and so far is a hard no for you in 2024. But what do you say to that? At the right what, what do you say to that female independent suburban voter who feels that way to win her back? First of all, I won in 2020 by a lot. Okay. You Let's know, get that straight. I won in 2020. You know that this, and if you look at all of the tapes, if you look at shows. everything that you want to look at, you take a look at Truth to Vote, where they have people stuffing the ballot boxes on tapes, or let's go to recent. Well, wait a minute. Let's go to recent. FBI Twitter. Let's go to recent. The 51 agents. All corrupt stuff, Brett. Understand about all, the Hunter Biden. Well, no, but that's cheating on the election. But that's cheating on the election. You lost the 2020 election. Uh, Brett. Uh, you take a look at all of the stuffed ballots. You take a look at all of the things, including things like the 51 intelligence there were, agents. There were recounts in all of the swing states. There was not significant right, widespread We're trying fraud. to get recounts, real recounts, not just numbers of votes Widespread cast. corruption. There was not a sense of that. There were lawsuits, more than 50 of them, by your lawyers, some in front of Brett, judges, judges that you appointed. Look at Wisconsin. That came out with Wisconsin no evidence. Is, Brett, Wisconsin has practically admitted it was rigged. Other states are doing the same right now, and it's continuing. There have been reviews it was a of every election. potential case of voter fraud in six battleground states, and they found fewer than 475 cases. You know why? Because they didn't effective. look at the right things. Okay, Bruce. are you going they to were be counting? They were counting ballots, not the authenticity of the ballot. <sighs> He's right, but it's got to stop. I believe everybody said he was. Ri- it was rigged, and he was robbed. But he's got to stop. Otherwise, he'll never get people to believe that he's going to be the answer in 2024. He's got to move past that. Carrie Lake 
different story. She has got the right, and I think the right decision, to fight in court uh, her stolen election uh, in the governor's race in Arizona. All right, uh, it's 1057. We'll take a timeout. I've got Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State in the state of Ohio, who runs the elections. We'll talk about election integrity, but we're also going to talk about issue one and whether or not uh, we should change the threshold to amend the Constitution in the state of Ohio. That'll be coming up next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It is Wednesday, room 21st, year of our Lord, 2023. Just nine more days of the nonsense. Well, officially sanctioned nonsense. Sure, the nonsense will certainly continue into the following months as well, but... The official month of groom is nine days away from coming to a close, and to that I say hallelujah. If you missed the interview with Carrie Lake, it was an extended interview, about 35 uninterrupted minutes, with the former candidate for governor in the state of Arizona. You're going to want to hear that interview. It'll be available to you on the podcast page of whkradio.com about an hour after the show ends, around 1 o'clock or so. They're usually uploaded. You should listen to that, and then you should share it with other people. We talked a a lot, not just about election integrity in her state, where she was robbed, I think, even more egregiously than President Trump was robbed in 2020. That's my viewpoint. Uh, but we also talked about election integrity in all states. And uh, uh, I just thought it was very fortuitous that she brought that up, considering our next guest. Our next guest runs the elections in the state of Ohio. He is the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Secretary, it's good to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey, good, Bob, and I told you this before, that time for choosing speech from Ronald Reagan you just played gets me every time. Every American should listen to that speech at least once a year. I completely agree. We listen to it once a day around here, because I play it at the top of every third hour of every show. So uh, we're going to give more and more people a chance to hear it, and I completely concur. So, uh, Mr. Secretary, let's talk about elections. More specifically, I wanted to talk about um uh, about August 8th, the issue one and the yeah. very, very important special election that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough thing to do to get that thing approved and to get it, uh, uh, affirmed by the Supreme Court. And, uh, they did indeed, uh, do so. And so now it's on. Early voting begins on July 11th, as I understand it. Um, 
the left continues to complain and continues to say that this is taking the vote away from the people, that this will provide an opportunity for a 41% minority to dictate to a 59% majority what goes on in the state of Ohio as it pertains to their uh, to the to the Ohio Constitution. How do you respond to those folks, Mr. Secretary? That's an outright lie. It's a blatant, ugly lie that the left is telling. Listen, you know, I'm an Army man. There's an old Air Force saying, however, that if you're taking flack, that means you're over the target. And that's exactly what's happening here. The left is losing their minds because they know that Ohio is on the path to do what most other states have done and protect the Constitution from out-of-state special interests. Day-to-day lawmaking, passing laws should not be done via constitutional amendment. All we're saying is that if you want to amend the founding charter of our state, you should build a broad consensus of at least 60 percent of Ohioans to do that. But let me be clear, and this is why their lies need to be called out. Nothing in issue one takes away the right of citizens by a majority vote of 50 percent plus one to change the law. They still have the ability, even after issue one passes, to do what's called an initiated statute. That's how citizens change the law. They have another ability to repeal a law they don't like through the referendum process. Again, still 50% plus one. Or, really, the right way to do it is to work with the state legislature, your duly elected House and Senate, to change the laws that way. All we're saying is that a constitutional amendment is a higher threshold. It is a special document. It should be protected against the kind of day-to-day shenanigans that, that out-of-state special interests want to engage in. You know, Mr. Secretary, I feel like we covered this ground before, but for those who may not have heard it, let's cover it again. You tweeted back in May um, a picture, uh, which is a screenshot of um, uh, of one of the Ohio Democrat Party's uh, amendment rules, Article 4, Amendment Section 1. The Constitution may be amended by 60 percent of all delegates delegates to the democrat convention 60 percent is what they require to change the democrat party's own constitution yet they want 50 percent plus one vote when it comes to the ohio constitution why would why would their party's convention be tougher to or a, a constitution be tougher to amend than the ohio state constitution i don't get that <laughs> because any organization a state a nation, a nonprofit, knows that you don't change the organizing charter, the most foundational document that lays out your basic rules of government with a simple majority vote. The U.S. Constitution, 75% of states to ratify a constitutional amendment. The Ohio Constitution, unfortunately, only takes 51%. But as you said, the Ohio Democratic Party, they know that their party's bylaws, which they call their party's constitution, should require a 60% vote. Groups like the League of Women Voters, who somehow is opposing this, their bylaws require a 66% vote in order to change the bylaws of the League of Women Voters. It's hypocrisy uh, on full display that uh, these folks are so obsessed with a radical abortion amendment, and that's really what they're trying to make this all about, that they're willing to you know, give up basic principles of good government, and that is that a change to a constitution should be more than a simple majority. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Mr. Secretary, talking to Secretary of State Frank LaRose this morning. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I needed some context or some clarification or whatever it is that you want to call it, because the left and those who are opposing Issue 1 on August 8th are making... um, 
making hay with a statement you made at the Seneca County Lincoln, Seneca County Lincoln Day dinner. Uh, at least yep. this is what they quoted you as. I don't have video or audio of it, but this is what they quoted you as saying, quote, this is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. The left wants to jam it in there this coming November, end quote. Um, so they're saying that Ohio's uh, Secretary of State is trying to change the Constitution simply because of one issue, the abortion issue. Now, I know I've heard you talk about many other things about protecting our Constitution in other settings, but they're really grabbing hold of this one and saying he declared it and said the quiet part out loud, this is 100% about abortion. And I haven't known how to answer that. So I wanted to give sure. you a chance to answer that. This is an example of the level they will stoop to. Dishonest reporters have taken a 10-minute speech that I gave and then taken 10 seconds of it out of context and used it to say the opposite of what I was actually saying. And this is, again, the kind of thing that these people are willing to do when they have no integrity, no journalistic ethics. In that speech, what I said was, the left is trying to make this all about abortion, Of course, that's one of the important things that we want to prevent from being put into our Constitution. I'm pro-life. You're pro-life. We don't want Ohio's Constitution to have the most radical pro-abortion amendment in the country. But this is about so many other things. And so what I was saying, if you listen to the full context of that speech, is, of course, this is about abortion. This is also about preventing a bad minimum wage uh, amendment from being put into the budget, uh, put into the Constitution. It's about preventing a bad uh, uh, marijuana amendment from being put into the Constitution. Uh, who knows what's next? Maybe the left decides that we want to do something about that whole pesky keep and bear arms thing that is, of course, in the U.S. Constitution, but also in the state Constitution. And so this is about many things more than abortion. That's only the most recent example of bad ideas that people want to put in our Constitution. That was the whole point of my speech. They took 10 seconds out of context and are dishonestly using it to, you know, fit their own agenda. See, this is why I wanted to have you on. Um, haven't heard a bit of that. Haven't heard one bit about that in context. Do you have, was that speech recorded by chance? Sure. Well, and here's what's worse. That video was sent to these journalists, and I'm using air quotes when I call these people journalists at this point, <laughs> yeah. by a Democrat tracker who works for, I think, Sherrod Brown. Some lefty group has been following me around the state because they consider me a threat. Again, if you're taking flack, you must be over the target. But some lefty group is following me around the state recording my speeches, and it was a liberal activist who sent that to a reporter. And then, of course, they just dutifully used it because they're working essentially for the Democrats at this point. Okay, so I'm glad that there is video slash audio of that because I want to play it on this radio program every single day. Every day between now and August 8th, I want people to know the reality because they're using this to drum up opposition to issue one. They're using this, you know, we have to fight back against, you know, these uh, uh, these lying Republicans, including uh, state officials like Frank LaRose, who said this is all about abortion, blah, blah, blah. I want to be able to play that and let everybody know yeah. and if there's a transcription of your of your speech as well. I mean, I think that kind of stuff should be posted everywhere here's the full quote here's the context because uh, and, and you know here's a real crazy question for you mr secretary i almost feel because i'm pro-life and i know you are too i almost feel like if it was simply about one vote which is essentially what the november ballot initiative is it's one vote on the issue of abortion i would still support it 
because I don't think we should be allowed to just kill babies uh, at will for any reason uh, through nine months of pregnancy without having any, you know, uh, any any circumstances being considered in that situation at all. I almost would be, but the reality is we are talking about trying to make it more difficult to change the Constitution for a variety of reasons. Um, and 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 so I think I think every single bit of the context that you used when you made that statement should be spread far and wide. This is why people that are willing to look at the big picture and actually think about good government instead of just what the issues of the day are. I don't imagine there's a lot of your listeners that are pro-abortion, but if they are, they should still be a supporter of issue one because Ohio's an outlier among states in the country. Almost no state in the country has the scenario we have where there's only 17 states that even allow a citizen group to propose an amendment to the Constitution, only 17, and many other states, Democratic states and Republican states, have higher thresholds. Illinois, for example, Florida. In the state of Nevada, a constitutional amendment has to be on the ballot twice. It's not enough to pass it once. It has to be on the ballot two years in a row Mm -hmm. to give people two chances to defeat it. Most states recognize the danger of making it too easy to amend your constitution. That's why the state constitution is nearly 70,000 words long, and the U.S. constitution is only 7,000. That is a great point. That is very, very well said. Uh, We're talking with Ohio Secretary of State um, Frank LaRose. Um, Let me ask you about the other element of the ballot initiative in November that they are going to try to push through, particularly at a 50% plus one clip if they can. Talk about the health care aspect of this. Not enough people, I think, yeah. really are understanding when they talk about reproductive care being uh, at the center of this. Doesn't that open up the possibility of removing parents from decisions made by their minor kids in matters of, uh, of, of transitioning? Because when you transition children with puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, um, they are essentially being made sterile. They are essentially being made infertile, which then it becomes a reproductive rights issue. So it's not just abortion when you look at what the ballot says in November, that ballot initiative that they're gathering all of their signatures for. It is, it's about much more than that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think that is their intention. In fact, there's a couple lies that are built into this. One is that they say, well, it's an exception for the health of the mother. Well, okay, if we're talking about physical health or the life of the mother, I can see that, of course. We're pro-life, meaning we, we believe in protecting any life. But what they're talking about and what the left has used, the word health, well, they interpret that as, how about the economic health of the mother? How about the mental health of the mother? If the mother says it would cause me mental anguish to have the child, then, then am I allowed to have an abortion at the end of the third trimester, potentially? That's one of the things that's built into this. But then also this this Trojan horse uh, about, uh, you know, any matter uh, related to sexual health. And, of course, what the left wants to do is allow children to be, uh, you know, go under the knife for these gender reassignment uh, surgeries without parental involvement. My school needs a permission slip to give my child an aspirin. <laughs> but in theory, under this radical amendment that's being proposed, a doctor could perform a sex change procedure on one of my children without me even knowing it. It's preposterous. It's dangerous is what it, it is. is. And it's immoral. Yeah, and, and which, again, I, I go back to what I just said a moment ago. I would still say vote for this constitutional threshold change, if it, if only to stop those two things from happening, because those are big enough, in my estimation. But, as you point out, with potentially there's a reason we don't allow children to make irrevocable 
decisions until they reach a certain age. Let's face it, we're all goofballs in our teenage years. And even something like getting a tattoo shouldn't be allowed uh, when you're underage because it's obviously a pretty permanent decision. Certainly, certainly something like this should not be performed on children. Yeah, I, I actually made a, a a little list here that I posted on Facebook a, a week or so ago. You know, there's there's a there's a host of things that we don't let kids make decisions on because they're kids and because they're not, you know, their brains aren't fully formed, their prefrontal lobes are not formed until they're 25, and making permanent decisions, uh, you know, uh, is something we just don't allow them to do. Like, for example, owning a gun until they're an adult at 18. I still think 18 is too young personally, but uh, owning a gun, uh, signing a legally binding contract. You can't do that until you're 18. Getting married, you, you know, um, you know, joining the military. I mean, oh, there's so many important things. Getting tattoos, as you said, permanently, uh, you know, scarring uh, uh, decisions. We don't allow kids to make those things. By smoking cigarettes, buying cigarettes, you can't do that. But you can, you can start cross sex hormones and start a physical transformation of your body into some sort of mutilated form. It's, it's, it's in. It, it's impossible to make sense of that. Um, Last question about issue one, Secretary LaRose. Um, we who support passing this and raising that threshold are saying we're trying to protect Ohio's Constitution from out-of-state special interest groups. Many on the left are responding to that, saying, out-of-state, what are you talking about? There is a multimillionaire in Illinois that is funding the yes vote on uh, a position on this particular uh, special special election issue. How do you respond to them? Yeah, well, listen, the courts have long said that um, it is a free speech matter for people to be able to invest their dollars in causes they believe in. Uh, if I was running a campaign for or against an issue, I would, of course, want to raise money from anywhere I could raise that money. And again, to say, hey, we're not going to take money from out-of-state uh, individuals would be kind of like unilateral disarmament, because you know the money from the left that's fighting this is coming from out-of-state as well. So why would we tie our hands by saying, hey, we're not going to accept contributions from any American that wants to engage in this? This is something that a whole heck of a lot of Ohioans care about. And if folks in other states want to help us to protect our Constitution and get this job done, we're happy to have their help. And listen, there's rules about those dollars being disclosed and, and how and, and all that kind of thing. And, of course, all those rules are, I'm sure, being followed by the campaigners that are running the for and against issue of one uh, campaigns. You know, what it reminds me of, Mr. Secretary, is, you know, um uh, the Republican Party generally their reluctance to fight fire with fire. In other words, to battle the Democrats on the same ground, uh, you know that they are. Um, for example, with early voting, they have embraced early voting. They have embraced ballot harvesting and all kinds of things. And we've been all, nope, nope, nope. We're not going to have any of that. We vote on election day. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to be, and it has cost us. Uh, we can't yep. do that anymore. And as you say, if the Democrats are going to take out of state money, uh, and we've got other people who support what we're trying to do who are out of state, we would be foolish not to fight with the same weapons that they have. Let's talk about the methods of voting in Ohio. As a football player, football coach, you know you can score points three ways, by passing, by running, or by kicking. As people that care about passing issue one, we can score votes in three ways, through early voting, through absentee voting, or through election day voting. If you and your family are traveling on August 8th, don't be afraid of early voting. It starts on July 11th. You can stop at the Board of Elections. They'll even give you an I Voted sticker. It'll be just like the 
polling location experience that you have on Election Day. If you want to vote from home, you can go to my website, voteohio.gov, print off the form, and request your absentee ballot today. You can request that absentee ballot, and when the Board of Elections mails out your ballot, you'll get the first one, first batch, right on July 11th when they start sending them out. And by the way, you can track your ballot in Ohio, just like you would track a package you order online at our website, voteohio.gov slash track, so you know it's coming to your house and you know it's been received by the Board of Elections. So a lot of good reasons why Ohioans can take advantage of early voting, absentee voting, or Election Day voting, however the heck you vote. Make sure you vote yes on issue one. We're talking to Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Last question for you, sir, before we go, and we're going to shift subjects here on you for this one. When we spoke last time, I asked you if you were going to run for the United States Senate in a Republican primary, and you said, well, that's a decision to be made this summer. Today is June 21st, first day of summer, year of our Lord, 2023. So it's time to answer that question. Are you going to be running for Senate? Not making an announcement on the Bob France show today, although that'd be a good place to do it. I I spoke to the Licking County Republicans last night, and when I mentioned that I may run for the U.S. Senate, that I'm considering running from the U.S. Senate, I got a a standing ovation because they know, like Ohioans all over the state know, that we need to defeat Sherrod Brown. He is an out-of-touch liberal who doesn't represent our values, probably one of the most liberal members of the Senate, representing Midwestern Ohio, where even my Democrat friends think that this guy's too far left. We need somebody battle-tested to beat him. All the polling I've seen, all the numbers I've seen show me that I probably have the best shot of being able to do that. So it may be my duty to take out and and defeat uh, this senator. But I'll tell you what, I I hope to be able to make an announcement in the next several weeks, uh, working towards that, looking at the practicalities of that. Uh, But a lot of people are encouraging me to run. And it would be a darn good thing for Ohio to defeat Sherrod Brown, but also for the nation, because by beating Sherrod Brown, we can take back the Senate majority and put Republicans in charge of the U.S. Senate. So we're looking more middle of the summer rather than the very beginning of the summer is what we're talking about, right? My hope is something in the next couple of weeks. And, <laughs> and again, working with my team on, on that right now. And, and again, I uh, would hope to make that announcement as soon as possible if I am able to run. But again, I'm not going to go onto a battlefield without bullets. I'm not going to go into a fight unless I'm ready to win it. And so those are the practical questions that I'm working through right now. Understood completely. I just had to push and I had to ask. Uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thank you so much for the clarity on your statement as well. I'd love to get my hands on that video so we can pull the audio from it and make sure everybody knows exactly what you said about Issue 1 and remind everybody again, early voting, which we must embrace, starts on July 11th. So if you want to uh, expand Ohio's threshold and protect the Constitution and make it 60% to put an amendment into the Ohio Constitution, you've got to vote yes and you've got to do it early. No sense in waiting until August 8th. It starts on July 11th. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Bob. All right. 11.30 now. We'll take it to the news break here and come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. Okay, it's 11.38. We've got one short segment left here. Um, I did not get much of a chance to share with you anything from the Durham Report hearings today. Um, John Durham, the special counsel who investigated the Russia hoax that led to the Mueller investigation, which led to absolute nothing burgers, 
um, in in terms of the idea that Donald Trump had colluded with the Russians to win the 2016 presidential election. You know the drill. John Durham's report took three years almost to complete, which is very, very, very disappointing. It also held nobody accountable for a whole myriad of things that were wrong and that were illegal and that were unconstitutional in um, that Mueller report and, and that took place as a part of the Russia hoax. So in, from that standpoint, it's very disappointing. Today was the first chance Congress got to officially question and talk to and listen to John Durham explaining what was in his report. So this is in the House Judiciary Committee today, and I want to share a few clips here of this in closing this morning. John Durham, the special counsel who investigated this, said the findings were very, very sobering, particularly because no one was held accountable. Listen. Our findings were sobering. And tell you, having spent 40 years plus as a federal prosecutor, they are particularly sobering to me. A number of my colleagues who uh, spent decades in the FBI themselves, they are sobering. While I'm encouraged by some of the reforms that have been implemented by the FBI, the problems identified in this report, anybody who actually reads the report and the details of the report, the documented portions of the report, I think would uh, would find that... um, The problems identified in the report are not susceptible to overnight fixes. As we said in the report, they cannot be addressed solely by enhancing training or additional policy requirements. Rather, what is required is accountability, both in terms of the standards to which our law enforcement personnel uh, hold themselves and in the consequences they face for violation of laws and policies of relevance. What is required is accountability, he said. And that is exactly right. And that was unfortunately not something he was able to provide as a result of his reports. But then again, he is not the attorney general. He is not a prosecutor as a special counsel. He was able to bring some charges against some individuals, but not hold anybody who is really a decision maker in the FBI accountable. It was the FBI that he talked with Congressman Mike Johnson about here when he said FBI agents who were complicit actually apologized to him for the travesty that was that investigation. Do you unpack a little bit more what that means? Why do you say sobering? Well, let me, let me um, give you some real-life um, views on that. I have had um, any number of FBI agents um, who I've worked with over the years, some of them are retired, some are still in place, who have come to me and apologized for the manner in which uh, that investigation was undertaken. I take that seriously. These are good hardworking, the majority of people in the FBI. FBI agents came to the special counsel who was investigating the crossfire hurricane phony dossier crap in which the FBI took information from a rival campaign, the Hillary Clinton campaign, to get a bogus warrant from a FISA court, came up to John Durham and apologized for it. That says something to me. And I've got one more. Um, John Durham talking about the significant red flags that uh, were raised because of the confirmation bias that the FBI um, approached this with. From the report, I gathered that key FBI leaders, all the way at the top, were predisposed to go after candidate Trump. This bias likely affected the conduct of FBI personnel in this investigation. Is that true? Yes. Can you describe that for a moment? How did confirmation bias play into this? 
Confirmation bias, as uh, was alluded to, uh, has to do with our uh, human tendency to um, accept things that we already think are true and to reject anything else. In this instance, there are any number of significant red flags <clears throat> that were raised that were simply ignored. If there's evidence that was inconsistent with the narrative, um, they didn't pay attention to it. They didn't explore it. They didn't take the logical investigative steps that should have been taken. Confirmation bias was practiced and used by the FBI agents who investigated that crap and pushed Crossfire Hurricane, that hoax that Donald Trump was somehow colluding with the Russians. I'm going to wrap it with this one. Shredding Democrat Representative Steve Cohn, who tried to attack the credibility of John Durham and claimed that he has no respect anymore. Listen. You have a good reputation. You had a good reputation. That's why the two Democrats supported you. But the longer you hold on to Mr. Barr... And this report that Mr. Barr gave you as special counsel, your reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods. There's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. My, Can we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about the pre- former president? Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect, and my family, and my Lord. And I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. And that is the mic drop moment. That's all the time we've got. Thank you to my team. Thank you, thank you to my guests. And thank you to you for listening. God bless. Be well. Be safe. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.